0: To today's today's One class with Dr. Gaffney, we will be alert today's class is on the topic of Malkuyot, Vikronot, and Shilfarot, Structures and Meaning. And if you have questions, ask them in Zoom chat, ask them in Facebook comments. We are keeping an eye out. Um, if you and if you are joining us in Zoom, please accept the Invitation to panelists if you would like to see, be seen, if you ask questions to the entire class. Zoom, I will keep an eye on Zoom chat and that various points for your questions. Um, and in the meantime, it's a pleasure to be learning again with Dr. Gaffney this, this afternoon if you're in Israel, morning if you're in the, in the US time zones. Uh, Dr. Gaffney, can you unmute yourself? okay thank you so much i'm gonna share my screen now and then we'll start so just one second you see my screen i you are starting to share um and now I, yes i can see your your screen okay so today we're gonna continue with uh, our discussion of different philot different prayers of the uh, yamim norahim and uh, perhaps today we're going to address the highlight uh, of the Yomim Noraim in some way, the Tefillah of Musaf of Rosh Hashanah, and more specifically the the part about of, of the Malchuyot, Zichonot, and which is maybe the, the centerpiece of of Musaf of of Yomim Noraim. And again, uh, we're not going to discuss uh, traditional observations only, but also the ways that scholars, modern scholars, suggest uh, to view these uh, brachot, these blessings, some of the new insights of scholars in the last 50 years or so. Needless to say, every observation or every new insight is always a matter of debate and different scholars have different opinions about everything. But nevertheless, I think it's important for us to think about those ideas. And they also make us, I think, when you uh, say that filot just a few days from now, I think it gives it an extra meaning or you think about it in a different way. Okay, so as I said, uh, we're gonna discuss today, and uh, what I said, the way I described him is one of the center parts of, or the center pieces of Yabim Noa'im, and it's not just my recommendation or my feeling. Uh, this is already something that Rabbi Akiva in the Talmud uh, expresses. This is uh, from a sugiya in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, in tractate Rosh Hashanah, but it also appears in uh, other parallel uh, texts uh, the Gemara says as follows. So Rabbi Judah says in the name of Rabbi Akiva, and I skipped a few uh, lines here, but then he reaches Rosh Hashanah. He, he, gave, he gave other recommendations for other stuff. And then he says, This is what God is telling us. Also recite before me on New Year texts mentioning, uh, making mention of uh, kingship, remembrance, and the shofar kingship, why? Malchuyot, and, and the Shofar, Malchuyot, kingship, why? So that you may proclaim me king over you. Kedeshia she tam lichun ya'alichem. the remembrance, so that kedeshi ale zichronichem lefanii le'tovah, so that your remembrance may rise favorably before me. Uvameh, and through what? Through the Shofar. So Rabbi Akiva recommended us to take this seriously, and uh, indeed, that is what we're going to do. We're going to discuss Malchuyot, zichonot the Shofarot. Uh, This text, by the way, has other parallels that are slightly uh, different in the way they're uh, formulated. Uh, For instance, here it's God's words telling us, this is what you should uh, say or recite before me. In other versions, it's Rabbi Akiva speaking, you shall tell him uh, the following passages. Either way, it's a center center part of the tefillah. So what are we going to discuss today? Uh, We're going to discuss a few questions that are... uh, that uh, have to do with the malchuyot zichonot veshofarot. The first one, first question we're going to discuss is something about the origins of malchuyot zichonot veshofarot. Who instituted these uh, ideas, uh, blessings, where are they coming from? That's the first thing we're going to discuss. Uh, the second theme we're going to discuss is the way that these uh, brachot, these blessings were integrated in our tefillah. The way that the Talmud suggests we are supposed to say it and the way it ended up in our current nusachet filah, in our current sidurim. So that's the second theme, something more of structure. The third theme we're going to talk about is the order of the verses, because if you all remember, I'm sure you remember, that the verses in the malchuyot zichronot and is a little bit awkward. It doesn't follow the, the usual order of Torah, Nevi'im, k'tuvim, but rather Torah, k'tuvim, and only at the end we say the Nevi'im. So the, the third question we're going to discuss, why are the verses out of order? And finally, so it won't be just about, uh, not just critical insights about this, so we'll try to say something also about the message or one of the messages that these blessings are teaching us or something that we can learn from the Malchuyot, Zichonot, and Shofarot. Just one small point that I find uh, interesting. Okay, so we're starting with the first, uh, with the, number one, the origins of Malchuyot, Zichonot, and Shofarot. If uh, we had to guess which of the of the these malchuyot zichonot and shofarot has more to do with uh, Rosh Hashanah, I think it would be obvious for us that zichonot and shofarot have a very natural connection uh, to Rosh Hashanah, and it's it's uh, we can understand how they came up and why did people recommend saying verses that have to do with zichonot and shofarot, and why is that? Because the Torah in Vaikra Kaf Gimel Dalit says. Uh, And this is pretty much all we know about Rosh Hashanah from the Torah, not much more than this. It says, Or in English, uh, speaks unto the children of Israel, saying the seventh one, the first day of the month, shall you have a Shabbat, a memorial of blowing trumpets, a holy uh, convocation. Which means, actually uh, mentioned in the verse, explicitly and therefore it's not surprising that Zichronot and Shofarot uh, will become uh, something very meaningful and very important in the Tfilah, in the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. And indeed this is the source that the Tanaim uh, bring when they're trying to support or ground the need to recite verses of Zichronot and Shofarot in the tefillah. In the Tosefta and again we have other parallels for this text it, go, it says as follows, I didn't bring it in English because it's pretty straightforward. Rabbi Yudah Omer, Rabbi Yudah Omer, Rabbi Shabbaton, Zok Kedushat Hayom, Zikaron, or Zichron, sorry, Elu Zichronot, Tu'a Elu Shofarot, Mikra Kodesh Kadsheu. So we don't need to discuss now the Shabbaton part or the Mikra Kodesh part, but he's der- deriving from the words Zichron, Teruah, that we're supposed to say both Zichronot and Shofarot. Rabbi Akiva, has some other observations about the verse there. He argues about the words Shabbaton and Mikra Kodesh, but nevertheless he agrees that Zichron elu Zichronot, and Tuah Elu Shofarot. So the obvious parts, Zichronot and Shofarot, can easily be linked or tied to the verses that speak about Rosh Hashanah. The more problematic one is the part of Malchuyot. Where is Malchuyot mentioned in the Torah in the context of Rosh Hashanah or in general? We don't have any uh, place where the Torah emphasizes this, certainly not in the context of Rosh Hashanah. Indeed, when the Marah, or the Tanaim, and later on the Amoraim uh, discuss Marchuyot, they're, they're providing us sources that are really not as obvious as the ones of Zichronot and of Shofarot. What type of sources? I brought one of a few. It's not the only opinion, but all opinions are not really very convincing. Just one example. Uh, the Gemara suggests: How do we know, or what do we know, that we say Malchuyot? Because we have here something that is Chazal uh, referred to as Smichut Parshiyot, the proximity of two Parshiyot, uh, two paragraphs that come one after the other. The passage in Sefer Vaikra before the one that discusses uh, before the one that discusses Rosh Hashanah is the one of Shavuos, and it ends with the words Ani Hashem And immediately afterwards, almost immediately afterwards, we start with Rosh Hashanah, discussing So some of the rabbis suggest, perhaps this or proximity between these two, of these two parashiyot, perhaps that was the reason that we say because it kind of connects the idea of I am your king, to the idea of And this is what one of the Tanaim says, so you see the verses here in English. The Shavuos one ends with the words, I am your God. And the Rosh Hashanah starts with the words in the seventh month and the first day. And one of the Tanaim actually says that. Uh, Rabbi says, shomrim al huyot, Tanya, Tanaitic source. Rabbi Omer, Ani Hashem Eloichem, Uvachodesh Hashvi'i, Zom uh, In English, whence then do we know that we're supposed to say the kingship verses, it has been taught. Rabbi says, I am the Lord, your God. And immediately afterwards, in the seventh month, this indicates king, kingship verses. So this is the source for malchuyot. And I, already, I think that you already feel now that the are not don't have such solid foundations in the text. But I think it even goes beyond that. There's other reasons to think that malchuyot are not really rooted uh, so, so strongly in the verses because the sikhronot, and the Shofarot appear elsewhere in other contexts of halacha without Malchuyot, again, indicating that they have more uh, solid foundations in the text, whereas Malchuyot seems to be a little bit more shaky. What am I alluding to? What sources am I referring to? So Malchuyot and Zichonot also appear in Masechet Ta'anit. Maybe it's a surprise for you. I was surprised to see it for the first time. I thought Zichonot, Shofarot are only connected to Rosh Hashanah, but they actually appear also in the Mishnah, in Masechet The Mishnah discusses times when there was no rain, and at some point, uh, people used to start fasting, having all sorts sort of sets of fast days, but also special prayers. And the Mishnah says as follows, I'll bring the text both in English and in Hebrew. So the Mishnah says as follows, Amdubat fila, they stand to pray, Moridim mifne we bring in front of the Ark, an elderly man who is a regular, who's familiar with doing this uh, prayer, praying job, being a And he says before them 24 blessings. What are they? He says the regular routine uh, 18 blessings of Shmone Yisrael, because we're talking about a weekday now. And he adds an additional. Uh, an additional six brachot, six blessings Ve'eluhen, and the first two are Zichronot and Shofarot. Uh, so he says the 18 that we say every day and adds upon them another six and the first two and they are these the remembrance or Zichronot and the Shofarot. So here too we see Zichronot and Shofarot seem to have more solid foundations in Halacha and marfuot, seems a bit more uh, shaky. It's uh, biblical sources and even in rabbinic sources seem a little bit more shaky. So the first insight I wanted insight I wanted to share with you, insight of modern scholars, is, is that perhaps, many scholars suggested about 100 years ago and onwards, many scholars suggested that perhaps the idea of Malchuyot in Rosh Hashanah is actually a later invention. We often think that Malchuyot, or appointing or anointing God as the king of the world, is the main theme of Rosh Hashanah. It's the main essence of this day but perhaps the idea of Malchuyot only came into the picture a little later. So when did it come into the picture? Who was the person who uh, initiated or suggested this idea that Vosh Hashanah is about Malchuyot, and why? Why did he suddenly suggest this? So historians suggested that perhaps it was actually not an ancient idea, but only a second century idea that is affiliated or associated with the sage uh, that actually recommended reciting all these verses, and I'm reminding you again, it was Rabbi Akiva. If you see here again, Rabbi Akiva was the, the sage, the Tana, who comes and says, you should say the, ble- the blessings of Malchuyot. Many scholars therefore suggest it was maybe only a second century invention or idea that Malchuyot will become such a significant uh, element in, uh, in Rosh Hashanah. And why Rabbi Akiva? Why would it be Rabbi Akiva? Why would Rabbi Akiva be uh, so passionate about this idea? So you can guess, if we know the biography of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva is a big opponent of the Roman uh, Empire. Specifically at the time of the Bar Kokhva revolt when Jews are rebelling uh, against Adrian. Uh, And many, many scholars suggest that perhaps this is part of the inspiration Emphasizing, we worship God, we're not worship any idol or any case uh, such as uh, Adrian. Uh, I'm giving you just one example, one of the scholars who pointed this idea, uh, Louis Finkelstein says similarly the, the preparation for the Bar Kokhba rebellion, brought about the re-emphasis on the conception of divine kingdom. And he brings Rabbi Akiva as evidence for this, thus Rabbi Akiva is said to have established the prayer of Vinu Malkin, we'll talk about this in a second. And he goes on, I'm skipping, uh, Professor Louis Ginsberg had uh, definitely proved that the malchuyot were inserted in the prayer for Rosh Hashanah in the time of Rabbi Akiva. So perhaps what we think as such an essential idea or a a cornerstone of, of Rosh Hashanah, the idea of the malchut of God, malchut Hashem that we do on Rosh Hashanah, perhaps it's actually a later invention. Both of these scholars provided a very beautiful Proof for this from the from a Mas- The Gemara over there tells the following story. We're talking about days of drought, no rain, and this is what the Talmud tells the story. There was another incident involving Rabbi Eliezer who uh, descended to serve as prayer leader before the Ark on a fast day. He said twenty-four brachot, meaning the ones that are mentioned in Masechet But he was not answered. He recited, but, he, but his prayers were not answered. Rabbi. So then, uh, what follows is Yarad Rabbi Akiva. So Rabbi Akiva descended before the ark. So he came afterwards and said the following words: Avinu Avinu So we see. We have a prayer that included the Zichronot and the Shofarot and that did not include the Malchuyot and that was not answered at that particular case. Rabbi Akiva comes and adds this idea of Malchut Hashem Ba'olam, that we're supposed to emphasize the role of God as our king. As, uh, based on this source and on other sources as well, it's not the only source scholars suggested Malchuyot perhaps is a later element and not an original element in the days of Rosh Hashanah. Another proof uh, for this theory is also found in the next theme we're going to discuss, and that is the way that Birkat Malchuyot, the blessing of Malchuyot, uh, was integrated in the tefillah of Rosh Hashanah, in the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah. And this is going to be our next theme. We're going to talk about the way that the brachot are, the order of the Brachot and the way that uh, you're supposed to recite them as part of Musaf and how it also made its way into our current sidurim. So this is going to be uh, the second theme we're going to discuss today. So let's look at the mishnah. So we're moving from the origin of malchuyot zikhonot veshofarot to the next theme, which is the order and the way that we're supposed to say the brachot in the Tfilah. So we have a machloket, we have a debate on this matter between two tanaim in the mishnah in Tractate Rosh Hashanah. As a matter of fact, this is the first time that appear in the Mishnah, in the context of uh, Rosh Hashanah. So let's see what the two Tanaim say. We're gonna talk about Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri, a rabbi from the Galilee, and the other one is Rabbi Akiva. And we will see what each one of those Tanaim uh, think about the order of the Brachot. And this is how it goes. So the Mishnah says as follows, Seder Brachot, the order of the Brachot, meaning the order of the blessings, In the Tfilat Amidah, the 18 that we say. So how does it go? Omer Avot. So you start by saying the Bracha Avot, meaning the Bracha that we end with the words, we start Elohi Avraham, Elohi that's why it's called Avot. That ends with the words, magenavraham. Avraham. So that's the first Bracha. Then he follows, Gvurot. The Bracha Av Mechaya Metim. blah, 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 mechayamitim. So that's the second Bracha. And then this is the crucial point, right? According to Rabbi Ochanan Binuri, the third bracha is Hashem. You say the bracha that starts with the words and so on. You're supposed to integrate the bracha Malchuyot as part of the third bracha of Shmones Hashem, the bracha that ends with the word that starts with the words Ata Kadosh, VeShimcha kadosh. So in that bracha, you're supposed to include the Malchuyot. And he does not blow the Shofar up so at this point. Okay. Only later he goes and he says, Kedushat the bracha that talks about the importance of the day or the, the holiness of the day. It starts with the words, Atabichartanu, uh, talking about the importance of the day. And then you do the first blowing of the Shofar. Zichronot, and you blow the Shofar. Shofarot v'Tukeah, and then you conclude with the regular parts of Shemone Esrei, Avodah, which means reze v'Tachazenayenu, Avodah v'Tamikdash Hodaa, Znamodim u'Birkat Kohenim, which is the way they refer to the brachah Sim Shalom. So we start Avod v'Vurot, Kedushat Hashem, like every day. We end with Avodah u'Daav v'Birkat Kohenim, like every day. In the middle, we have Kedushat Hayom, Zichronot v'Shofarot, and the Malchuyot are integrated. As part of the third bracha of Shemuneh Israel, Kedushat Hashem. That's the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan Ben Nuri. Rabbi Akiva argues. Amar lo Akiva. According to the way you put it, in the in the when we say the Malchuyot, we're not supposed to blow the shofar because it's part of the third bracha. And Rabbi Yochanan Ben Nuri said that the third bracha still does not include the tkiot. So Rabbi Akiva asks him. Imeinot okeah. Amar lo Rabbi Akiva. Imeinot okeah leMalchuyot. L'amu mezkir. If he does not sound the shofar for the blessing of kingship, of malchuyot, why bother mentioning altogether? And therefore, he concludes, Ela, rather, you're supposed, he says, Omer Avot u'gvurot ve-k'tushat Hashem. So he starts with saying, Avot, gvurot Hashem, like every day. However, Kolel malchuyot ktushat hayom. The malchuyot are only included in the fourth blessing of Shemunei. So the one that starts with the words, Atah Mikolamim talking about the importance of the day. And then you already do the tkia, zikronot v'tokea, shofarot v'tokea, v'odao So you include the malchuyot as part of the fourth bracha rather than the third bracha and with the tkiaot shofar and then you continue to the zikronot and to the shofarot. Uh, to simplify, I hope it simplifies this thing for you. So I put it in this chart and you can see that uh, essentially Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri and Rabbi Akiva Agree about most of the, about the basic structure of Shmonesre. They agree that the order of the brachot is the same, more or less. It will have Avod, Dvorot, Hashem, Hayom, Zichronot, Shofarot, Avodah, Huda VeShalom. That part they agree. We have nine brachot altogether, and the content of that part of Shmonesre is the same. They also agree that the shofar blowing is done in the middle three brachot of the Shmonesre. So we say three brachot without the tkiot, three brachot at the end without tkiot, in the middle we have the tkiot shofar. The only thing that they argue about is where do we locate the malchuyot? Are we locating them with the part that goes with the kdushat Hashem, meaning in the third bracha of 18, or perhaps we're supposed to include them in the fourth bracha of the of Rabbi Akiva says that he doesn't believe you should say the malchuyot if you're not blowing the shofar. And therefore, he, he believes we're supposed to move them one bracha ahead to the fourth bracha. So the first thing I want to mention, this is still ending the first theme that we said. I think the very fact that they're arguing where to place malchuyot, are you supposed to place it in the third bracha or the fourth bracha, is another indication that this bracha had a shaky status, that it was not the, an, 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 uh, an original part or an original element of Shemunei Yisri. If it was an original bracha, if it was from the very beginning, we would not expect different sages to argue where it belongs, fourth, third. We would assume that it should deserve its own bracha, just like zichronot and shofarot. The very fact that this bracha was the the location where we're supposed to include that bracha was something that was a matter of debate, perhaps gives us another indication that the status of ankhuyot may have been a new invention that came up only later on, and that's why different sages are arguing where is the proper place to include it. So this is still uh, connecting to what we've said before. But what I want to address now is another question. And that is, how did it end up in our current Sidurim? So what do we say nowadays? Do we follow the approach of Rabbi Yohanan ben or do we follow the approach of Rabbi Akiva? Okay. So how do we do it? Before we look into the Sidur, I want to check in the Poskim. Let's see what the poske halacha uh, say. And I included here, I, you can, I could have brought many, many. I just brought to you here the Rambam and the two to see how they're Posek, how, how they determine that in this particular case. And I think you will immediately see that they're very clear about this. Rambam in Hilchot Shofar, uh, but we're dealing with the Shofar now says, I'll start with the Hebrew hatzibur chayavim lishmoa hatki'ot al seder habrachot. Keitzad, so you're supposed to say that kiot along with the brachot. And how does that work? Omer shlich zibur avot ugevurot ukedushat hashem umlchuyot vetokea shalosh. V'Omer Zichronot vetokea shalosh. V'Omer sopherot vetokea shalosh, V'Omer Avoda vehodaya ubirkat koalim. I'll read this in English as well. Uh, the Chazan recites Avot, Gvurot, the sanctification of God's name, to Hashem. And then, Malchuyot, and the Shofar is sounded three times. Zichronot, the Shofar is sounded three times. Shofarot, the Shofar is sounded three times. And Avodah, acknowledgement, or Hodaah, and the priestly blessing, which is Birkat Hashanom. I think it becomes very, it's very clear that Rambam was following the Halacha Av Meaning, you're supposed to say the first brachot without any additions and without blowing the shofar. It is only the fourth bracha that you include the malchoyot with the blowing of the shofar. The only thing that is a little bit puzzling about the Rambam is that for some reason or another, he doesn't emphasize that malchoyot are included in Kedushatayon. He just says, you're supposed to blow the shofar while you're saying malchoyot. But from the from the Mishnah, it's pretty clear that he's following Rabbi Akiva because that was what Rabbi Akiva was trying to make. Why bother saying Malchuyot if you're not blowing the Shofar in the third bracha? Rather put it as part of the fourth bracha and include the Malchuyot in it with the blowing of the Shofar. So Rabbi Akram for sure is pretty clear he's following Rabbi Akiva. Also the two. Uh, Rabbi Yaakov, the son of the Rosh in his Ur-Achaim says, Look at this uh, statement. He's big. He doesn't always repeat this, but here, look what he's, at. he's uh, emphasizing. Minhag avotenu ve'en The minhagim that we inherited from our forefathers is Torah, and we should not change it one bit. And then, what is the minhag? Omer avot ukedushat Hashem. So far, ordinary. Shmonesre. And then the fourth bracha malchuyot, and he does add. So we're supposed to integrate malchuyot as part of Kdushat haYom, shofarot, avodah, rikat So both of these poskim, and I, again, I could have brought many, many others. They all follow the approach of Rabbi Akiva. Malchuyot is part of the fourth bracha of kedushat haYom of ata bechartanu, and uh, we blow the shofar as part of that bracha. So all we need to do now is check our sidurim and see what do we have in our current Sidurim. What do we do nowadays? So I'm gonna, I brought here the, sec, the relevant sections uh, that seem to show what, we're, what the halacha that we're following. And I'm starting with the bracha of Kedushat Hayom, the fourth bracha of Shemone. It's, so how does it work? Think about this. When we say the Shemone and Chag, it's nice to, to remember the ideas we learned beforehand. So I, I hope it You'll have that in mind. You should have other things in mind, but also that. Uh, so the fila the goes as follows. I'm, I'm saving you the chazanut now. I, I'm not uh, singing it. That will save for two for a few days from now. So, and surely it could take a little longer. That's the ordinary way that we start, like in every any yomto, not just on Rosh Hashanah. So that is kdushatayom. Yomazikaron yom mikra kodesh. So that's the part. And it goes on a little bit. I skipped here. And then in the middle of the same bracha, we shift to Malchuyot. And we start saying, I skipped again. And from here on, we start Malchuyot. Ka And we're gonna bring a bunch of sukim from the Torah. lemor. So we're gonna bring a bunch of sukim from the ktuvim Al yede avadecha neviim lemor. A bunch of verses from the Nevi'im will end up with another verse from the Torah. And then how does the Khatimah, the ending of the Barachat go? Eloheinu v'lo Avoteinu, meloch al kol ha'olam kulo So again, we start with the malchuyot, but we end with a combination of the two. Baruch ata Hashem, melech al kol ha'aretz, that's the malchuyot element, me'kadesh Yisrael ve'yom az'ikaron. So it's malchuyot with the idea of kdushat ha'yom. So all indications seem to show that we follow the approach of Rabbi Akiva. However, it's not as simple. Otherwise, I wouldn't need to talk about this. It's not as simple because there's an additional bracha uh, that comes before that I was uh, avoiding. I I didn't address so far. Now I'm going to talk about it briefly. And that's the bracha that we say as, as Kedushat Hashem. So this is the way Kedushat Hashem looks. The, the third rachav uh, It goes like this. Now, if this was an ordinary an everyday shmonesre, we would just end up by saying, we would end and end. Or maybe you would say, if it's However, we have a very long passage that kind of uh, disrupts the the whole idea in the middle. It starts by saying, So yeah, you're supposed to exhibit your, uh, or lead to people to fear you. I'm sure you're familiar with this text. We go on. So it starts by talking about maybe the entire universe. Then it talks about more specifically about your nation. And Kavod Hashem LeAmecha, Uvchent Zadikim Yeruvi Smachu, talking about the righteous people. And finally, V'Tim Lochata Hashem Levadecha Al Kol MaAsercha BeEzion Nishkan Kavodecha Of Yerushalayim Ir Kodeshcha, K'Katuv BeDivrei Kodeshcha, Im Loch Hashem Lo Lame Lo Hayich Zion O Kadosh Ata VeNurash Mecha Veini Hashem Tsvoat Amispat Baruch Ata Hashem Kadosh. And the question I want to ask you is where did this come from? Why do we say this entire passage as part of our Tidusha Hashem, as part of the third bracha? What is it doing here? Our third bracha seems, it should have been a regular bracha. We're including the manchuyot in the fourth bracha, not in the third bracha, so what is it doing here? Medieval scholars were actually a little bit perplexed by this text, and they come up with a very uh, interesting insight or idea uh, that this is, in a way, trying to correspond. The three uvchens, the three passages here, are supposed to correspond to the marchuot zichonot and shafarot. One of them, Sefer Kolbo, one of the, I think, 13th, 14th century Sefer Minagim says, ve'inyan, the idea of Eliash Lusha uvechen. So the essence of these three uvechens, sheomer that one recites as part of klushat of the third bracha. They're supposed to correspond to the malchuyot, zichronot, and shofarot, and he's trying to show that each one of the passages of the uvechen connects in one way or another to one of those themes. Meaning, the text of uvechen ten parchecha is supposed to connect to malchuyot. Ten kavod Hashem leamecha is supposed to connect somehow to zichronot, and tzadikim yiruvismachu is supposed to connect to the Shofarot. He brings this idea, and many, many other medieval scholars uh, repeat this uh, in different forms and shapes, but essentially the same idea. Now, I think this idea is far from convincing for two reasons. The first thing, why would we want to include Malchuyot, Zichonot, and Shofarot as part of our Kedushat Hashem? That's nobody's opinion, A. And B, there are attempts to tie, maybe that can somehow work. It's talking about fearing God. But ten kavod Hashem leamecha. how on earth does that connect to zikronot? You really have to work hard to make that connection. Also the tzadiki miru how does that connect to shofarot? You will see that they're coming up with all sorts of acrobatics trying to make sense. Why is that really connected? But it's far from convincing. But I think there's a much more convincing uh, approach that appears only in modern times, only in 19th century uh, scholarship and onwards. And according to the other opinion, perhaps what we're having here is actually some mm-hmm. remnant, something that was left in the fila, from the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan Benuri. Perhaps this is the Malchuyot, its entire piece really is a part of the Malchuyot prayer because this is the theme of this whole passage. And this is the place that Rabbi Yochanan ben Nui felt malchuyot should be included. If we follow this approach, we can find the word, we can uh, explain a few things here, but the main thing we can explain, how did it make its way into our tefila, And we can also explain why is the idea of malchut so dominant in this passage. V'tim <laughs> So the idea of Malchut really belongs here. So therefore I'm suggesting, and uh, this is not my own idea, but I'm suggesting that perhaps we did not really rule out the approach of Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri. Something of that opinion was still left. Obviously we'll still say the Malchuyot as part of Dushatayon, but the original filah of Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri's Malchuyot might have left, been left in our Siduin. Uh, I'll bring you one scholar who says that, and he's also trying to explain how that happened. Uh, he, he says as follows uh, his name is Gershon Herpens. He says, People just love the of Rabbi Hanan Benuri. They wouldn't give it up so fast. And therefore, uh the imki, I'm skipping a little bit. The imki, but often rishmi, even though formally speaking, nifseka halachah ki Rabbi even though we determined the halacha according to Rabbi Akiva, nevertheless, uh, that we're supposed to say malchuyot as part of the fourth bracha. Nevertheless, he says lamrozot loiski makahal Hagdili. The people in the Galilee were not willing to give up that malchuyot of Rabbi Yochanan ben Uri altogether, and therefore they still kept it as part of their as part of their bracha of Dushat Hashem. Two small editions, and we have to rush to the last theme, or to the main, to the third theme of our discussion. Uh, two interesting things. First, uh, you, might, you might ask me then, why do we say the prayer, the text of Uvchen ten not just in Musaf? Why do we say it in Arvit and in Shacharit and Mincha? If it's malchuyot, we don't say malchuyot as part of all, all of, in all prayers. We're supposed to say it only in the Musaf prayer. So the answer is that it's not simple. There are many rishonim, many medieval scholars who felt that one is supposed to say malchuyot shafarot in all four prayers of Rosh Hashanah, Shacharit, Mincha, Arvit, Shacharit, Mincha, and Musaf. It's not a, It's not this idea is not unheard of. It actually appears. In, uh, different, in the words of different scholars from Provence and other places. So this could be part of the reason for this. Another issue we need to address is how did it make its way into Yom Kippur? But that is already more difficult to explain. And there are ideas, scholars suggested, but that's already gonna be uh, a bit more complicated for now. One more thing uh, we can uh, refer to at this point. Uh, if this is indeed part of the Malchuyot, I think it explains beautifully that the decision of the composer of this fila to start with the word uvchen. Why does he choose this word? It's not a common uh, word, certainly not in filot. But if you recall, the word uvchen appears in the Bible twice. One of them is in the Megillah of Esther, when Esther is about to enter Achashfiroche's palace, and she says, when she's about to approach the melech, she uses the word The Paitan who wrote this text chose the word for this precise reason. I think he's trying to have us uh, associate this word with the words of Esther. We're about to enter hamelich, Hoping that it's going to be kedat, but we might be shelo kedat. So this is uh, something about the fourth bracha of uh, the third bracha of and the possibility that it also kept, uh, the, that it's a remnant of the malchuyot of Rabbi Yochanan ben Umi. You still have a question you need to ask me then. In our malchuyot we're supposed to have 10 verses in each one. So where are the verses? So the answer is that it's only Rabbi Akiva who felt that we need so many verses. Rabbi Yochanan Benuri actually was happy with a smaller number of, ver- of, of verses as part of his marchuyot. This will bring us to the next theme. Uh, the Mishnah goes on and says as follows. Me'asara me'asara zikrunot, me'asara shofarot. So you're supposed to have 10 verses for the marchuyot, 10 verses for the zikronot, and 10 verses for the shofarot. That's the approach of Tanakama, the anonymous. Uh, Tana here, Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri says, So in Rabbi Yochanan ben says, if he says three from each, he has fulfilled his obligation. We're not going to do this now, but if you look back in the bracha of Kedushat Hashem, of Armalchuyot, you will see that you can find at least two verses there. And there, there is a way to, that you might even locate a third verse. And if that's the case, maybe even the verses are part of that bracha. You should look back into the tefillah when you do the tefillah. You can also look for those verses. Two of them are explicit, and one of them might be hiding there as well. But now we're going to focus on the third theme, and that is the order of the verses that we say in our malchuyot, zichonot, and Shoforot. What does the Mishnah say? The Mishnah says as follows, after it t- tells us the number of verses that you're supposed to recite, and the, I skipped a little, one more sentence in the Mishnah, and then the Mishnah says, you're supposed to begin, he begins with verses from the Torah, and he concludes with verses from the Prophets. That's what the Mishnah says, Rashi explains the way most uh, commentators uh, explain as well, Mathiba Torah Ba Navi means you're supposed to start with three verses from the Torah and with three verses from the Navim, from the Prophets, back to Vim time. And the writings are supposed to be found right in the middle. And then eventually we also add with one extra verse from the Torah, which is a separate subiyah that we're not going to address now. But the order, the basic order of the main of the big the large number of sukim is Torah. You start with three verses from the Torah. You end with three verses from the Nevi'im, from the Prophets, and three verses in the middle are supposed to be from the Ktuvim. And the obvious question is, why? Why on earth will we want to do such an awkward way of uh, organizing the verses? Wouldn't that, be make, wouldn't that make more sense if we just follow the regular order of Torah, Nevi'im, and Ktuvim? Torah, Prophets, and Writings. Why, do, why go out of order? Why are we using the Ktuvim? before we say the navim this is not my own uh, question obviously this is a very very ancient question that scholars were dealing with for over a thousand years and there are many many attempts to solve this uh, this problem this dilemma and i'm going to bring you at least two uh, traditional interpretations and then i'll come up with the scholarly uh, insight so what did traditional uh, mefarshim I have to say about this. So we'll bring two uh, examples, two solutions. We'll start with number four, we'll go back to number three. So Tosfot on, the, on that suggests, he says as follows. And he says meaning since the verses of Psalms, Prophets, and Job were composed before the time of the prophets. So what Tosfot is trying to say, Perhaps there is some logic for the decision to start with the Ketuvim before the Neviim. Maybe it has some historical foundations. The order of our Tanakh is not really a chronological order because some of the Neviim actually come come, uh, were written after the writings, after the Ketuvim. Specifically, this is true when it comes to Sefer Tehillim. Most of the verses that we say in Malchuyot, Zichronot, and Shafarot come from Sefer Tehilim. And from a historical perspective, they were composed before Isaiah and Yirmiyah and all these books, before many of the prophets. So Toswat's idea was maybe our Mishnah, maybe our uh, b- nusach our filah is following the historical order of the P'sukim rather than the way that they were canonized in our, in our Tanachim. It's an interesting answer, but it's a little bit hard, not as convincing. I mean, if we're so accustomed to the idea of Torah Nevin why suddenly here, think about it from a historical perspective and try to follow the historical order. Why? The chronological order. It doesn't really make sense. The uh, Ritva, Rabbi Yom Tov So he comes up with a different explanations, more from the theological realm. And he says, uh, He's coming with a whole different type of explanation. His theory is the, the Anna and also R. Sid Durin chose the, the, the author of this fila chose to say the writings before the prophets due to the fact that people didn't, didn't give enough respect to the K'tuvim. People think prophecies about the future, that's something that has to involve a divine inspiration. But maybe just the writings are just words of wisdom. Maybe this is just human uh, ideas. Maybe it's not something that is divine. So the Tfila is bringing the verses from the K'tuvim before the ones of the Nevim so that people should not uh, mistreat the K'tuvim. People should treat them with a high degree of uh, texts that were composed, the Ruach HaKodesh, they were divinely inspired. So this is the idea of the Ritva. And I could have gone on and on and on and bring many, many other attempts to solve this problem. However, the solution might be, might be because again, it's a matter of debate, but the solution might be a little bit, much more simple. However, also uh, in, a, in a sense, a radical attempt to solve the problem. And the question I want to ask you is, how many parts does the Bible have? We're used to thinking that we have three parts, Torah, Nevi'im, and Ktuvin. But this is not necessarily the way that it always, uh, that the Tanakh was actually, uh, was that the books were divided from the very beginning. There are many, many indications that at least at some stage in history, people just made one distinction not three uh, categories, but rather two. It was Torah and everything else, and the Nevim. And the Nevim might have included even part of the Ketuvim, but they were not classified as a separate category. There was just Torah and Nevim. And you can find many, many proofs for this. Uh, We'll start with two proofs from the Second Temple literature, from the Book of Maccabees that I'm sure you're familiar with, part of the apography and pseudepigrapha. So these books talk about the Tanakh in a few places. I shouldn't be saying Tanakh. They talk about Bible or biblical compositions and they sort them into two groups, Torah and Nevi. There's no Tuvim there. Here are examples for this. Uh, the first one is from Maccabees 4, number 18. This is the story of Hana and her seven sons. If you remember in the Hanukkah context, and it talks, so the mother is teaching, speaking to her kids before they're about uh, to be killed, and she's telling them stories about their father. She says, among other stuff, I'm not translating this to English, uh, here. Be'odenu when your father was still alive, hayam et torah He used to teach you the Torah and the Nevi'im. And it specifies, it goes into details, and it tells us what stories did the father teach the kids when he refers to Torah and Nevi'im. And it actually refers to texts that are part of our current k'tuvim. Which might indicate that at some stage in history there was just two categories, Torah and Neviim. Also, in another place in the Book of Maccabees, obviously each book was a separate story, but this is with regards to Judah Maccabee trying to comfort his soldiers. So it says there, the last verse on the, in the second passage, "Uvenachamotam who used to comfort his people, min Torah Umina from the Torah and from the Neviim." Even in Chazal, even in rabbinic literature. You can find places where the chazal are referring only to Torah and Nevi'im. Uh, one example is in the halachot of Bava Metzia. When the Mishnah discusses people, if somebody finds a book and he needs to know how to treat the book. The Mishnah over there refers to Torah and Nevi'im, or in, in the Tanaitic sources, they refer to Torah and Nevi'im. In Bava Batra, When they talk about the obligations of the community, which books they're supposed to purchase for the community, it talks about Torah and Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim are not mentioned as a separate corpus. Whether it's because they were still not fully included or because they just didn't classify them as two separate groups. If this is the case, I think we might come up with a much more simple, a simpler solution to our problem. We were asking. What does it mean when the Mishnah says, mm-hmm. And we were assuming that Navi stands in contrast to Ketuvim. So we have Torah at the beginning, Naviim at the end and what's in the middle. So we were assuming it's the Ketuvim that come up in the middle. And then we're starting to raise all these questions. But perhaps what the Mishnah was just meant to say, you start with the Torah, mm-hmm. meaning, and you conclude with the rest of the Bible. It's not trying to say Nevi'im or Navi in contrast to Tuvim. Navi is just a contrast to the Torah. It doesn't talk about a three part Malchuyot Zechonot Beshafarot. It's talking about, it doesn't get into the details. How are you supposed to sort verses here? Are you supposed to do it three, 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 or five and five? It doesn't give us all of this information. It just says you'll, you'll, you're supposed to open up with verses from the Torah and conclude from verses from the rest of the Bible. If this is indeed uh, the meaning, so I think the Mishnah makes much more sense, and we don't have to assume that we're going out of any order. This is following the order of the Tanakh. This is not my own idea. Again, you can find it in the 19th and 20th century scholarship. This is from a, a Finkel, one of a Finkelstein's article in a footnote. He says, The order of the verses of Malchuyot, Zichonot and Matzil b'Torah When Mishnah is referring to the fact, is addressing the fact, you're supposed to start with the Torah and conclude with the Navi. Yesodah, it's rooted. Lefi according to his humble opinion, zo kadum hayu rak There were only two parts to the Bible back then, and the verses that we have in our Malchuyot Sichonot we were supposed to address both. And it never said anything about the precise order of the, the verses that we're supposed to take from the remaining part of the Bible, the part that comes after the Torah. If this is the case, so if we were now to write the brachot, the, to choose the verses and to, to sort the, the verses from al zichonot al we wouldn't even have to go out of the way. We could probably start with the Torah and go by order. Bring verses from the Nevi'im and bring finally verses from the Ktuvim. We don't have to switch the order because the Mishnah never meant to say that. Indeed, this is a big discovery, but it's not the only uh, document. But indeed, in the Gniza in Cairo, such putim of Zikhonot, Malchuyot, Zikhonot, were found in which the order of the Psukim is Torah, Nevi'im, and Ktuvim. It's not out of order, it follows the ordinary order of Psukim. We're not going to read the piyut part here. It's a different formulation for the entire uh, The only thing we're interested in is the is the, uh, the words that come up after each one. You, so you have a part for the piyut and then it says, you see the first section ends with the words So you start with the verses from the Torah. That's the first section. So we start with the verses from the Torah. Then, rather than bringing verses from the Ktubim, the way we say, it says, it goes to the Nevim. And only at the end, so the order might have been the regular, the, order, the routine order of Torah, Nevim, Tuvim. It was not necessarily an attempt of the Mishnah to make things more weird or go out of the way. It might have been An attempt to talk about Torah in contrast to the rest of the Bible. I think it's a very simple solution. It's more complicated than that. You have to check if you wanna do the the full job, you have to look in the Tosefta. The Tosefta does add some more information because it mentions the Ketuvim, but it still goes by the right order, Torah, Nivim Ketuvim. And I think this is part of the same, it, it goes along with this theory. With a, with a little bit of refinement that we need to make there. But that basic idea is that there were two parts, Torah and everything else. And the Mishnah did not mean to violate the order of the Sukim the way that they're in our current Tanakhim. So that was the, the third theme. So, so far, we spoke about the origin of the Tefillah. We were trying to emphasize that the Malchuyot might be a later idea that was, inter, that was added on. And became an essential part of our of our Rosh Hashanah, but it's not necessarily the original part of the Shemoneh of the day. We spoke about the way that the brachot were included in our Tefillah, and we saw that the shaky status of Markhuyot is still evident in the way that we that the way, and that was the reason maybe that the Tanaim were arguing about the place where you're supposed to install that part of the Shemoneh And we just love them both both versions of Markhuyot. So we maybe still say both the Malchuyot of Rabbi Yochanan bin Nuri and of Rabbi Akiva. So it might have started as a shaky status bracha, but it ended up being recited twice, both in Ktushat Hashem and in Ketushat Hayom. We moved on and we spoke about the verses and we were asking why go out of order and we provided, we scholars provided ideas. Why is it really the, the proper order of the brachot? Because the Mishnah never meant to violate the the routine or the or the usual order. We'll just end up with something about the meaning of the Bachot. It won't be just about scholarship but also something more meaningful. Uh, I think that there's something very interesting in the way that the Bachot are uh, formulated and it leaves one question a little bit ambiguous. It's very evident in the case of Shofarot but also in Zichonot, and to a certain extent also with regards to Malchuyot. We say Shofarot is about blowing the Shofar Zichronot is about remembering And marchoyot is about appointing Or anointing a king But who is the subject of this? Who is the person who is supposed To blow the Shofar and who is the person What's the entity that is supposed to listen? Who is the Person or entity that is supposed to Doing doing this remembering thing And also who is the Person who is responsible For doing this hamlacha of bauchu? I think that the brachot are giving us a very interesting uh, mixture of for- formulations. The brachav shofarot, like many brachot, if you remember for the previous year, uh, starts with the word ata, like most of the brachot, we usually start with the word ata. And the impression you get at the beginning of the brachah is that the shofarot, the blowing of the shofar is something that God is supposed to do. It starts by saying, ata negleta be'anan kvodecha I'm skipping, so this is alluding to the event of Aseret HaDivrot, so the HaKadosh Baruch was the one who was blowing the Shofar at the beginning. Uh, also, later on in the bracha, it's referring to the future. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who's supposed to do the blowing of the Shofar, both in the past and in the future. However, in between, or as part of that same bracha we suddenly also say that we have a role in this blowing business. Uh, the Mishnah says, the last, the, the bracha says at the very end, uh, the final verse that is quoted from the Torah reads, at the end of the bracha. And uh, And it says, so we're supposed to be blowing the Shofar. And also at the of de bracha, suddenly, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who was so far the one who was blowing the Shofar, becomes the person, or the, the one, not the person, the one, who's supposed to hear the Shofar. shomea kol Shofar, kol Baruch shomea kol Suddenly, we become the ones who blow the Shofar, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who listens. I think it's fascinating, but it's not just in the Shofarot. It's also a little bit uh, hinted. I think it's also found in the Zichronot. One, look in the Zichronot. Again, the obvious. Ata zocher ba'ase olam u'foket kol yitzurei kedem. And I'm skipping. Ata et kol ha'mifal ve'gam kol yitzurei lo nikhad mi'mecha. And also at the chatima, zochenu be'zichron tov le'fanecha. So it's all about God remembering us you remember everything, and we pray that also in the future, you'll remember us in a positive light. But in between, in the middle of the there is a fascinating verse that comes up. It says, and it seems like it doesn't really belong, but it says uh, you remember everything. So we praise every human being who doesn't forget God. Suddenly, we are the ones who are supposed to remember. And God is the one who's just, who is the, who's the one who's being remembered, but we're doing the active role of remembering things. And I think you can also find similar ideas in Malchuyot. In Malchuyot, I think it's a little bit more tricky because if we are supposed, these two things go together. If we pray to have God become the king, in a sense, that is also Him being the king. So we can't really separate between these two things. And I think this is sending a very important message for Yamim No'raim in general. Yamim No'ahim is not about a role that it's not about Hakadosh Baruchu, or it's not, and it's not just about us. It's in a sense a dialogue or a connection between the two, of, the two parties that are involved. When we remember him, if we are remembered to do our duties. And the same thing, I think, also goes to Yom Kippur. Forgiving God's for, uh, willing to forgive for us, uh, our sins involves us being able to forgive sins that people have committed to us. So it's a mutual process. It's not just asking ask, us uh, ask or begging or asking God to listen to our, and to fulfill what we want. But it also involves a very important role that we have in this process. So on this note, I wanna conclude, it's exactly 7.30 now, Israel time. So I wanna conclude and I wish you all Shana Tova and Mizrat Hashem, our wishes will be come true. And, that's all. <laughs> um, Zella, I saw you had a question come up in the chat during class. Um, uh, is it still uh, relevant? It Wait, is still, still Who the Uva Haines was two other times. One was in Esther. I, the I think the other one is in Iov. I don't know. The context there is not really helping us, as far as okay. I can tell. But the okay. Esther one is good enough, no? Yes, yes. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> I thought it was fascinating when I heard this. This really no, it, great. All these things, these tiny nuances fill the tefillah with so much more meaning. Yes, yes. Okay. One word, but it, it suddenly here is so different. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Shuv tada shalom, okay. shalom, shalom.